Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. I believe that is the Black Keys, um, and <laughs> Rebecca's nodding. Um, so one of the things we're wrestling with today on the nose uh, is the huge culture dump at the end of the year that uh, ex-president Barack Obama uh, now does. All the books that he recommends, all the songs that he likes, all the movies that he likes, a few TV shows, too. Um, he is relentless. He is eclectic. He is voracious. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the movie Little Women, which we've all been to see. And I'm not going to get myself in trouble by saying we have a bunch of little women on the show today, but we do have uh, no guys on the show today. Let's put it that way. Uh, Rebecca Castellani is a music writer for the Red Hook Star Review. Kara McDonough is a freelance writer. Uh, you can read her blog at karamcdonough.com. That's We'll put, it, we'll put it up on our website. I won't spell it out for you right now. You'll never remember it anyway. Carolyn Bain is an actress, comedian, and dancer. Uh, she is a founder, director, and choreographer for Kinetic Dance. Uh, and we should say that this particular show is being monitored by several pharmaceutical companies that produce cold remedies just to sort of see what works and what doesn't. Many of our panelists have colds um, and sort of those post-holiday colds. And I should say also that in a little bit of time, I said there were no guys on the show. I'm theoretically a guy, uh, <laughs> or in the words of Flight of the Concords, technically I'm a man. Um, and But a little bit later, Sam Hadleman is going to call in because he's young and he's uh, really into music, and, and I think he has his own show in Brooklyn at the moment, and he will help us understand all of uh, Obama's music choices, which are especially eclectic, I think, anyway. So let's just begin with this, though. I mean, you know, Kara... Uh, I mean, presidents often have cultural interests. When I was emailing around, I pointed out, you know, even W, who seemed a little bit of a Philistine at times, was apparently a pretty voracious reader. Now he's a painter who, you know, I mean, has to be reckoned with as a painter. Uh, Clinton played the sax. You know, we know where that went. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, we could go on and on. And I mean, like Nixon was a, like a very musical guy e- even. So Trump, maybe not so much. We'll come to that. But there's something about this thing that Obama does now. I mean, this this year end thing that he does that, I mean, he's really, really interested in popular culture, apparently. Right. Yeah, this list is deep. And one of the things that we were all talking about before the show is that we maybe don't know all of the things that Obama knows in terms of culture, <laughs> which is. You know, maybe to say that maybe I'm not as cool as him. I'm definitely not as cool as him. No, we're not, none of us are. No, apparently not. But I think it's impressive his 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 wide uh, jump into culture like this. And some of the some of the things he put on the list were uh, surprising. Some of them were hilarious. One of the one of his favorite shows was Fleabag, which was kind of hilarious to me, having 
scene Fleabag <laughs> and ha- that having that been one, one of, scene. <laughs> that one famous scene that probably we shouldn't talk about on well, we, we can I, Let me talk about it. I'll be the person who gets in trouble. Great, so, thank great. you, Colin. Is it in the pilot? I think it's the first episode, right? Where uh, it's the first season episode. one. She, season yeah, season one, one yeah. she and is watching a speech of him giving a speech on her laptop and she is simultaneously pleasuring herself. Exactly. Well put. Right. Thank you. That was a very demure. We now return you to Kara McDonough. Mm-hmm. Very Louisa May Alcott of you. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me pass that over. So, but there's so, something a little, you know, potentially narcissistic about endorsing a show where somebody is. Right. Anyway. So obviously. He was careful you. to endorse season two, though, I not that. season one. Season so two I think no, he's aware. So nobody touches themselves. That might have been a little bit of a joke. He'd but maybe that's how he became aware of the show. Yeah. Like his a daughters lot of were like, Dad. Season two first. <laughs> his daughters would have been really freaked out by that, I think. Someone so. had to tell him about that scene. Someone yeah. had to. I hope it wasn't the daughters. Oh, my oh God. I'm sure it was. Somehow I feel like. <laughs> so, since Sam is going to uh, call us up pretty soon and help us out with, uh, with music, maybe we can say a little bit about movies. Again, here, I watch a lot of movies and we do a lot of shows about movies. There was at least one title here that I didn't recognize at all, had to look up. A couple uh, other of others that are really pretty esoteric. I mean, I'm assuming everybody sends him screeners, and so he has everything. A few of them are actually technically 2018 movies, if you want to split hairs. But the list is American Factory, Amazing Grace, Apollo 11, Ash's Purest White, Atlantic's Birds of Passage. That's the one I had to look up. Booksmart, Diane, The Farewell, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Just Mercy. Well, most of us can't see Just Mercy yet. The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Little Women. We'll be talking about that in a second. Marriage Story, Parasite, The Souvenir, Transit. Um... So, I don't know, Rebecca, you're a pretty avid movie consumer. Yeah, and I know like four movies on this list. <laughs> no, you know, you know half of them. Yeah, I know half of the music and some of the books. But, yeah, I mean, it's funny to think of Obama watching Booksmart. That was another one that I was like, I can't really oh, picture yeah. that. But to be honest, daughters, I have trouble picturing daughters. Daughters. Little Women, daughters. too. Daughters. Yeah, but yeah, Little but Women, there's more global appeal to it. I mean, also, Booksmart is like the equivalent of super bad for right, girls. It's kind of raunchy, right? Yeah, but I his daughters raunchy. are older now. Do they Are they living at home? Like, is no, they're he really spend, Right. Yeah. So he's not really spending all that much time with them. I I love Obama, and I, I if Obama says watch something, I, I do it. But I wonder how much, just playing devil's advocate here, how much he, you know, curated this list oh, sure. with intent. Um, and, and how much I think I wonder what his like genuine if you were just like, you know, having a beer with Obama and talking about things. He that secretly watches 90 Day Fiance. Exactly. <laughs> like <laughs> I feel that there might be some uh, Needs to relax. presentation. I want his guilty pleasure list. Like, what do you really yes, want? Yeah. That would be Can we get Obama's guilty pleasure list? But I, th- I actually I think, first of all, once again, if you know you're going to do the list, then you make sure that you're watching all kinds of things. Right. And now, obviously, also, what does it mean to a movie like like Birds of Passage if he's if it's you know, it's having a little bit of trouble getting visibility? I care about mu- movies. I didn't recognize that name. For him to put that on a list, I mean, it's not like it's going to vault to the top of the box office charts or anything like that, but it's got to be worth something. So I'm sure there are a lot of people trying to get him to watch their screener. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's another thing to say about that other than, you know, I mean, if we're going to believe that he's a little overdetermined about this and super purposeful about it, I mean, an effort has been made to include like a lot of different 
countries. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Did he do this during his presidency or is this just a post-presidency thing? He definitely did the playlist. And I think we always knew what books he liked too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we did. We kn- the reason I know that is that um, he put Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff on his okay. list. He would have been mm. president at that time. Okay. And at that time I thought, you know, you're a great president. That's that's a really stupid book. I mean, I know it won <laughs> awards and stuff like that, but um, but I didn't think it was a particularly good book. But and we can come to the books in a second. But you know, I mean, the idea that he would be that. I mean, we couldn't get you to watch that many movies if we. You know, <laughs> I'm pointing at Carolyn right yeah. now, who objects to how many movies that she's made to see to be on this show. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean if. I wonder, yeah, if I had to sit and watch all of Obama's favorite movies. I can't believe he watched The Irishman in the entirety. I got 20 minutes into that and said, I yeah, I am still working you, on next. it, I admit. I'm well, halfway through. I, that's a, I want to come to that a little bit later in this segment, but that whole question of you know how you watch movies, where you watch yeah. movies, and how he consumes all this stuff is an interesting question. Uh, I will say that since you brought it up, I saw Irishman in the movie theater, and I, I thought, well, no, I think that was the right way to see it. Because you can't I, you, escape. You can't you escape. And I really liked it. I had a, you know, I was, I was never felt, you know, I wish this were over now or, or anything like really? that. Really? But I, I think when you're in a dark movie theater with a lot of other people and you're going to miss anything if you even get up to go to the bathroom, which I did not do, uh, you have a different kind of focus on a movie. Whereas, like, you know, I mean, you're watching something on your screen, you can hit stop, you can go, you know, make yourself. See, that is how I prefer a movie experience. Right. Movie theaters, I feel trapped. Yeah, we talked about Yeah, this. I just, it is so overwhelming to me to commit to a movie knowing that I'm probably going to want more food. I might want more wine. I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. They've just like, started something serving important wine could in happen. American movie theaters. Yeah. That's right. a new thing. I mean, now I don't have to sneak wine in my purse. The Brits have been doing that for years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, so, for, and, and sometimes when you're watching something, like, you want to discuss it right mm-hmm. away or you want to interact with the person you're watching it with and, or uh, take a couple or notes. just take yeah or, or just take a break sometimes some movies or I I need I just need that moment like an intermission yeah um and some movies are just too long for me to be sitting through like that um so <laughs> that's that's how I feel about the movie going experience <laughs> I like I like the movie going experience I actually I think there's a lot of people in your two boat who prefer not to just be trapped in there and kind of have this joint experience. But I actually, I saw two movies, one of them being Little Women, and then I also saw Frozen 2 with a bunch of kids. I heard it's great. It was great. It was honestly was it? great. I heard it's I saw really it. good. It was great. Oh, okay. It's darker. <laughs> darker than the original. I really liked it. Um, and I'm not a person who really likes kids' movies, to be honest with you. But I do like sort of what Colin was talking about, the experience of being so focused mm. that your, your your focus is all there. And then I actually like feeling the emotion of the other people yeah, in the true. theater. Um, I think that there were – I heard a few sniffles during Little Women when I felt them coming on too. And I, I like that experience. I like the focus. I don't really feel – See, I trapped. like it with theater. Live theater, yeah. I, I, I feel well, – You really don't have any choice, live theater. Right. Yeah, I, I don't have a choice. There's to... no other way to consume live theater. Well, yes, uh, fair. I mean, they, they show theater. You could have them in your house and you, you could, could say, could you just stop? I have to go get some more wine. Uh, just freeze for a second and I'm going to go get it. But no, I'm the only person that could get away with that. Yeah, very possible. Um, but I think that Obama watches most of this stuff alone or in a home theater environment. Mm, sure. First of all, what's it take for him to go out to the movies? I yeah. mean, he can't just Tricky. show up at a multiplex with this secret service detail. And I mean, that would be re- fairly difficult. And I think that also allows him to see so many movies. So yeah. we've got, you know, what, what this 15 or 20 movies on this list. And the, those are just the ones that he favored. 
he probably saw, you know, 40 movies this year. Well, that's hard to do if you see them all at the theater, right? You yeah. really have to wrap your schedule around their schedule and get there and all that kind of stuff. So, and, But I do think increasingly that's how people consume movies. Right. And, and I do feel like there's something is sacrificed when we do that, you know, Carolyn notwithstanding. I feel like something gets lost if we are – I mean, I oscillate. I think there's certain movies that I absolutely feel like I have to see in theaters to get the full experience, to get, you know, for me, music is the big thing with movies and to feel like the swelling score pulsing through you. Like that's, you know, you feel invested in the movie. But to Carolyn's point earlier, I get very anxious in certain movies. And I unfortunately saw the latest Star Wars movie on Tuesday and thought I was going to combust halfway through because I was sitting just in a circle of pubescent boys that were all (laughs) a tither with their pubescent boy energy. And I was like, I got to get out of here. And the movie was just not good enough to keep my attention, so I was very panicked. All right. We're going to switch over to uh, his music choices, uh, and we are going to add to the conversation Sam Hadleman, uh, who replaced Rebecca as the youngest nose panelist. Oh, I'm sure there's no hard feelings about not that. Not at all. And, um, and Sam is the host of the Sam Hadleman Show on WNHH sometimes. And I, Sam, are you doing a show in Brooklyn now? Do I have that right? Um, I will be around January 12th at Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, right. right now I'm just talking. I'm just hashing out details. But yeah, I'll be uh, having a show then. All right. Is that going to be called the Sam Handelman Show as well? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, and he's a Ford- Fordham graduate student also. And Sam is certainly my st- – when I was listening to Obama's playlist, I thought, what does this remind me of? And then I thought, oh, it reminds me of the playlist that Sam sends me on my phone from time to time. It's full of songs that I don't really know that prob- and I probably should know. So this is a very long list of songs. I'm not going to read them all. Some of them are by very recognizable artists who we'll be talking about. And, and some of them are not. Some of them are by people at least that I never heard before. Let's – we'll Let's play A1, which is by Burna Boy. The song is uh, Anybody That Can Kind of Get Us Going. I don't change my energy. I no get time for no enemy. You repay one to me. Nothing with person never see. I'm a nothing with person never see. Forget the I say fashion. Okay, Barack Obama knows this song. It, it goes without saying that Sam knows this song. Did anybody else know this song before we... No, but I'm into it. No, yeah. but I'm, uh, yeah. I'm going to become very familiar it. with it. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if there's a Spotify playlist. Of- oh, oh, there is. There, there oh, is great. Spotify, and Sam and I both use Titles, so and oh. Title also... You know, the Carters are going to assemble a Obama playlist. So whichever streaming service you use, you've got it. So, um, Sam, should we know Burna Boy? I mean, are you disappointed in us that we don't know Burna Boy? Yes, we should 100% know Burna Boy. He's like an international sensation. Um, All his music is absolutely fantastic. He, But I don't think he's really reached the American market as quickly as he could have. But he's everywhere you look if you're really tapped into the international markets. Um, his album was absolutely fantastic. And he's really blowing up on a lot of different coasts. Highly recommend. All right. So um, was there one in particular? I mean, we're going to play the, the cut that you picked out in just a second. But um, did, were, did any of these choices really surprise you, Sam? Like, wow, Barack Obama knows about that? Um, well, first... I think that we kind of underestimate how tapped into culture is uh, Obama is. I know it's easy to think that some 22-year-old intern from Soho probably made this playlist, but I truly, truly believe it was him. Like, he's the first president to bring Common to the White House. He brought Kendrick Lamar to the White House. Like, for all his faults, politically, culturally, he was always so on point. And 
Um, I was very surprised to see the baby on here. I couldn't really see Me Barack too. Obama just chilling with his legs up, Me listening too. to the show by the baby. See, that was one of the but few, my, because of Sam, I, I knew about the baby. And I, the, my thought was, oh, Sam will be happy. Uh, that was the one that really surprised me. I'm like, I can't quite picture Obama kicking it to the baby, but there you go. <laughs> so um, we, let's let's do something so that Carolyn feels included. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I, I'm as, I'm in the same. Boat I don't as know Carolyn's screaming. So, I don't know them yeah, right play, now. Let's, yeah. Yeah, so let's play uh, uh, Juice by Lizzo. That's a two Wolfie. Let's uh, hear a little bit of that. Carolyn Payne, take it away. All right, I'm obsessed with Lizzo. I'm going to put it out there. And I feel like I liked Lizzo before anyone else did. Oh, I no. knew you were going to say okay. that. <laughs> so, like, in, like, 20... It was, like, 2016 or 2017, I was out in L.A., and a friend was playing this song in the car. Not Juice. It was uh, Good As Hell. And I was like, what is this song? I need this anthem I heard Good As Hell in life. college, so it was the same time in that yeah. first song. Wait, I was these like, songs who is this? Yes, yeah. yeah. I was not aware of that. So, Lizzo, and, you know, I... I just love like everything that she stands for. I love her, just how she, you know, does okay. her. And uh, I, and I like the image of Obama and Michelle like rocking out in their kitchen to Lizzo, like I do. I just um, I think that I that I can see. Yeah. I, I, I see them, too. you know. And in particular, this song. You know, Sam, first of all, I should say not to make you feel less cool, but Krista Tippett, who I don't see as a real you know embracer of a lot of music was tagging out her show with an original little hip-hoppy thing that Lizzo recorded for her I think like 2015 2016 right around right around there so she's been on the scene for a little bit of time I, I certainly you know but Sam you know as we were doing the song of the summer show this year Lizzo had a different song that was eligible to be song in the summer and I remember thinking at the time it's too bad it's not juice because juice would have yeah. been a really good song in the summer um, yeah, I, I think that Juice has a little bit more legs to it than Truth Hurts. I think Truth Hurts is a little more gimmicky. It's easy to scream about your ex about. <laughs> I think that it's it's like a fun song, but I'm not really the biggest Lizzo fan, but Juice is something you could put on and I wouldn't be mad. You know, I think that, it, like I said, it just has more legs than the other record. Sam right. is way too cool for Lizzo. That's although, how we know Lizzo's uh, no longer. Uh, well, although, no, Sam, one thing that I would point out is that uh, although Lil Nas X made it onto this list, so when we did the song in the summer show, we were evenly divided at the end of the show. Um, half of the panel thought that um, that Lil Nas X was going to be the song of the summer, even though he'd been on the charts for a really long time. Sam and I were arguing that Billie Eilish was going to inherit the song in the summer somewhere around the middle of the summer. And that's exactly that's what happened. Right Pick. Yeah, well, I mean, both both sides were right, essentially. The, there were two right answers to that question. But I noticed, Sam, that Billie Eilish, well, actually, since, since Re- Rebecca said that, I'll go to you, Rebecca. Billie Eilish did not make Barack I was surprised. Billie Eilish, I mean, I really resisted the Billie train for a long time. And then I sat down and listened to the album in its entirety. And whoo, the vocal control of this child is just beyond. So I was a little surprised that he didn't do like a deep cut. Billie Eilish, like, and I love you, or wish you were gay, or something like that. I could see him sneaking that in, but you know, Billie Eilish is also a. I, th- very I think it's like quite a, y- eighteen year old. So 
Maybe yeah, not. I mean, I haven't listened to everything on his list, but I just I feel like there's like a certain vibe with all of these, a lot of these songs, and that like her her vibe is a little uh, darker. Yes, yes. yeah. But he's got darker. Big Thief and other people on there that are quite emo. Yeah, but, fair. But, well, anyway, I have I have a theory about why Billie Eilish, at least that song, might not have made the list. But uh, since we already did the the Fleabag thing, I'm not going to go out on another limb here. Um, Wait, I, I, instead, let's just jump down to. <laughs> hmm? I feel like we need to know that theory. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, yeah. if you think about the lyrics to that song, to bad guy. To bad guy. Okay. The thing about mm-hmm. my knees are all yeah. bruised, well, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, you know, That's he, from a well, skating accident, Colin. Yes, how dare is, you? That is not how the video suggests it <laughs> at all. Uh, all right. So let's go down to A5, Wolfie. I, I want Sam just talk a little bit. So this would be, this is a name I did not recognize, although you probably have already sent me one of these songs in one of the playlists that you've sent me, Sam. But this is Snow Allegra. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, I want you around. We'll play a little bit of this, and then Sam will tell us what we're listen, listening to. It's not that I don't want you here It's something about the way you stare into my eyes I know that I don't make things clear I fall for you every time I try to resist you We can get away, palm trees, beach views, ordinary day All I wanna hear is in the visions I'll replay all right, Sam, tell us about Snow Allegra. I mean, I love uh, her already, but... You, you were so close. It's Snow Allegra. She's okay. from Sweden. Um, I found her back in the day because Drake sampled her on Do Not Disturb off his More Life record in 2017. And her album, Ugg Those Feelings Again, probably a top five album of the year for me. I just love how soothing her voice is and the production is so fantastic behind her i know it's kind of more of a low-key hit but to see this pop up on barack obama's playlist you're right like most of these songs are on my playlist for like the entire year so it's like kind of weird to think of this like 60 plus baby boomer listening to this song but i think this song is just like absolutely absolutely universal like i play this for my mom i play this for my dad i play this for my friends like it is just so centered and one of the biggest low-key hits of the year, and I'd recommend it to absolutely anybody with ears. It's kind of a baby-making song. <laughs> I was going to say, this is like Obama's get-down playlist. It's a little slow jam, a little, yeah. I, I, like I do it. not need to think about Obama getting down. I, I think of this as my, like, conditioning my hair, you know, that's what I'm doing when oh, I'm Oh, conditioning my hair Okay. Fun. I do not have one of those yet. Damn, yeah. no. I'm living wrong. I'm going to go home and condition my hair to this song and live a new life. All right, so let's, let's... listen to the whole album. Okay, yeah. I'm excited. Thank All right. you. Uh, let's, yeah, but have lots of product around while you do it. Because you've got to be okay. putting stuff in your hair while you're. Um, all right, let's let's do one more song. Uh, this is one that I recognize just because it sort of got into, or at least the act got into our Jimmy Webb show this year. This is "Redesigning Women" yes. by the Highway Women. High, High women. women. High Women. Full time living on a half time schedule. Always trying to make everybody feel special. Learning when to break and when to hit the pedal Working hard to look good till we die A critical reason there's a population Raising eyebrows and a new generation Rosie the Riveter with renovations And always gets better with the wine Redesigning women Running the world while we're cleaning up the kitchen Making bangs, shaking hands, driving 80 Get home. 
So, Rebecca, you take it away. Oh, man, where do I start? So, actually, I'll start here. This is my least favorite song in this album. I think the entire album is sensational, but this was the first single they released, and I found it a little, you know, on the nose, and it wasn't my favorite. They followed it up with The High Women, which is the rewrite of Jimmy Webb's Highwaymen, which was covered by Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash, and it's a ridiculous song with a ridiculous music video. And She means that in a good way. No, or not, or not. <laughs> Literally, it's about highwaymen dying in like yeah, ridiculous yeah. ways, one of which is falling off the Hoover Dam, and then Johnny Cash is the starship captain who just blasts off. It's super weird. So Brandy Carlisle and Jimmy Webb rewrote this song, um, and it just... So I'm surprised he didn't pick that one, because the song is just from the opening lick. Mm. just gives you ultimate goosebumps. I saw the highwaymen uh, make their Newport Folk Festival debut. It was actually their first performance ever together and it was not a dry eye in the room it's a really wonderful collaboration there's not a lot of women country super groups um so it's exciting to see what's in store for them the talent especially amanda shires and natalie hemby who are the two probably more underground of the four the other two are brandy carlisle who i hope everybody knows and Marin morris who's had a huge year but amanda shires is um the wife of jason isbell and natalie hemby is a singer songwriter that everyone has used in nashville and it's really i think this group's got legs and i can't wait to see what they do by the way i would recommend uh, also not on his playlist since you mentioned uh, jason isbell and amanda shires there if we were vampires yes. which is a, a a great song so kara one thought that i had about this is you know because you were asking about spotify you know we use playlists in different ways and like i almost never would make a playlist like this my playlist like i would take the songs on a Mama's playlist, almost all of which I've liked. Uh, I, I, I tried to listen to all of them today. I didn't get all the way through, but uh, but I sprinkled the like I have a playlist that is kind of more sort of slow jam, slower R and B stuff. You know, I don't want a country song popping up on that playlist. I want that on a completely different playlist. They all have different names, so I'll know you know what right. I want to listen to. It's sort of in, I don't know how you use Spotify, but I wonder whether Obama actually listens to this playlist or whether he, like many of us, kind of categorizes stuff when you want to listen to a certain kind of thing. Yeah. I hope he does. That That's a I, that's a nice image. But I actually make playlists in the same way you do, Colin, and probably the same way a lot of us do. I have, like, a running playlist mm-hmm. and, like, I don't know, upbeat songs I like playlist. I mean, not exactly called that. But what you're just talking about reminds me of when I was younger and I would make mixed tapes for people. I don't know who <laughs> yes. in this room. 100%. Uh, yeah. best. And I would very much make them like this. I would mm-hmm. choose one countryish song. I would choose one love song. I would choose an upbeat song next to another song to elicit a sort of emotion. Because it's a finite medium. You don't totally. have this endless playlist generation. You had to have, you know, 12 songs exactly. and you had to pick them and that had to encompass every mood. We've all, we've, all seen, we've all seen high, high fidelity where the, right play, the playlist is revealed so for the manipulative thing that it is. So just maybe to, to, to wrap up here. So one thing that John Cusack's character says in High Fidelity is you are what you like. Uh, you know, the things that you like, he argues, determine who you are. Sure. But in a way, I just want to go around the table. Like, I don't know. Do you feel like you know, Carolyn, any more about who or what Obama is based on all this cultural information we have? Um, I, I actually kind of think that I, I would have guessed that some, you know, I, I, I feel like this is... You're the intern that built this playlist? Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> right. I wish. No. Yes. But I, I, do, I do feel like a lot of this does kind of seem on brand for what I think I do know about him. All right. Quick answers all around because I'm being lobbied for a yeah, break by the sure. producers. It yeah. absolutely seems like something Obama would put together. Yeah. He's cool. I, I agree. It makes me like him even better. Sam, what did we learn about Obama? 
um, that he's more tapped in than most of my friends are. Um, <laughs> and us. Like, and I love the international scope that he brought to this playlist. That's my favorite part, yeah. I think, mm. with, with Burna Boy, Coffee. If you ever listen to Rapture, the EP by Coffee, mm. oh, my God, I listen to it every day. I know. I, I love like the fact it. that there's a group called Coffee with a song called Toast. Can I get it on this playlist? The Sam playlist. The Sam yeah. Yeah. Coffee's uh. like 17 years old. Um, she's like a single person. Yeah, her music's absolutely fantastic. But when international music gets put in a in a in a uh, well done way in American media, it's good for everyone. Okay, so that's I, really I, what I like. I just did an old guy thing. I said it was a group named Coffee. It's a person. All right. <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna we we're late for a break. We got to go. With th- thanks to Sam Hadleman for jumping in and uh, helping us uh, get things. Uh, and we're gonna go out with another of Obama's choices. Uh, this is a Bruce Springsteen tune. You've all heard of Bruce Springsteen, right? <laughs> so this is Hello Sunshine. Had enough of heartbreak and pain I had a little sweet spot for the rain For the rain and skies of gray Hello sunshine And we're back. We're back with the nose. I'm Colin McEnroe. This is the Colin McEnroe Show. I'm supposed to say that from time to time. Rebecca Castellani <laughs> is a music writer for Red Hook Star Review. Kara McDonough is a freelance writer. Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer, uh, founder of uh, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Uh, we're about to talk about, um, here on the nose, which we do every week to talk about culture, um, we're going to talk about Little Women, which is directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, let's hear a little bit from it. This is B1 Wolfie, so you're going to hear the actress Florence Pugh. Uh, as Amy March, one of the four March sisters, uh, and Timothy Chalamet, or Chalamet? Chalamet. Chalamet, yeah. Uh, as Theodore Laurie Lawrence. I've always known I would marry Rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? It's nothing to be ashamed of, as long as you love him. Well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. And therein she states uh, uh, an idea that I think runs through, kind of hums through this this movie. But I just want to kind of go around the table and just kind of take your temperatures a little bit on uh, how, how, what struck you about this movie. Carol, since you bought brought the big, huge, you know, edition of Little Women with you, you get to go one. first. Thank you. That's that's a good reward. Um, so I loved it. I loved this this version, this film version of Little Women. Um, I did read it. I feel like I've seen a bunch of film versions, Mm -hmm. which I had to check myself, but then I realized there have been a bunch of film versions. That's correct. Um, I love this version. I thought it was delightful, just, um, you know, the, the images, the... Um, the actresses, the acting. I thought it was a great reminder of what this book and this story is all about, which is um, staying true to your spirit and how that is a wonderful thing and a thing that all of us should do more of um, in addition to it being about, you know, women and women's rights and the time period that it was that it was written. Um, 
And yeah, I, I loved it. I, and I, I also thought it was hilarious in points. I thought it had some strong messages about marriage, which we just heard one of them about how marriage can be um, soaring and romantic, also annoying and plotting, and also a financial transaction in this time period. All right. Rebecca, how about you? Um, I think the biggest takeaway I had was the treatment of Amy March in this movie. I remember for the first time I read Little Women hating Amy. And you, I think, were really kind of supposed to in the book. I mean, Amy, you know, is constantly taking things from Joe, and Joe is our heroine. Everyone is supposed to side with Joe. Amy, you know, burns the manuscript, which even in this movie, I just was like, oh, Amy, <laughs> why would you do this? But Florence Pugh brought such pathos to this character and really captured the growth of a young woman from kind of like a bratty, materialistic 12-year-old to a woman that really understands the world and her position in it and how tenuous that is. And there's this wonderful scene between her and Meryl, Meryl Streep, who plays Aunt March, talking about how she's the family's hope now. And just the way Florence Pugh emotes during that scene, you can see the wheels turning and I just think that she brought such pathos to the character. For the first time, I felt like she and Lori deserved each other, and it was not some great injustice that Joe and Lori didn't end up together. I thought that the treatment of Professor Bear was great. He was much hunkier and sexier than mm-hmm. he is in the book, and I think that was <laughs> good for Joe. Um, so I thought she, Greta Gerwig's choices were fantastic. I think it enhanced the source material, which you do worry about with these adaptations. I think the time jump, a lot of the times time jumps in movies, I think, are trying to achieve more than they actually do. But I thought it was really effective in this use. I mean, it really kept you interested and carried through the story. You didn't just have this long swath of their childhood followed by the domestic, you know, Good Wives was the name of part two. It kind of gets rid of that and blends it all together, and you can watch these women mature. And I thought just the acting across the board. I mean, Saoirse Ronan, next Meryl Streep. We should say, uh, actually, before we go to Carolyn, let's play one more clip here. Saoirse Ronan, who's uh, nominated for a Golden Globe and I think has a fairly good chance of getting one on Sunday night uh, and will doubtless be nominated for an Oscar, too. I mean, it really is in some ways an ensemble movie. In other ways, it's really her movie. Yep. Uh, and so let's hear a little bit of her. I just, I just feel, I just feel like women, they, they have minds. And they have souls, as well as just hearts. And they've got ambition, and they've got talent, as well as just beauty. And I'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. But I'm, I'm so lonely. Carolyn Bain, you have the floor. Okay, so we'll all be glad to know I didn't hate this. <laughs> this falls into one of the few movies I've seen for the nose where I can honestly come on here and be like, all right, it was it was worth seeing. Um, I read the book as a kid. I'm not like a huge Little Women fan. Uh, but one of the things I liked about this movie is that it didn't, it didn't like ruin it didn't ruin the book and it approached the book in a really interesting and new way. I liked the time yeah. jump. I, I'm hardly ever a fan of that in movies because I can I find it like it's a little bit like discombobulating or like gimmicky. Inspired by Dunkirk, I guess, and the way that that moved around. Yeah, I read that. And I mean it really the way that that all played out was very effective for this story and um and and to staying true to the text in that way. And um, I, I thought, like, the acting performances were really good. Uh, the 
Florence Florence Pugh, Pugh who uh, I discovered earlier this year in Midsummer, which was great. Yes, and I she's an actress that just from seeing that movie, which was so weird <laughs> and but really interesting. I she was the takeaway for me as like wow, she can really carry something and yep. be interesting. And I agree that a character like Amy, who I hate, I hate that character in the book. Uh, I actually found her to be my favorite character yeah. in this movie and because she did so the way it was written and how she portrayed it and um overall I, I mean and I loved Laura Dern as Marmy. Oh, she I was know. a completely different Marmy than I ever thought than I ever envisioned in my reading of the book or in any other version. And I loved her that moment I had said an email to everyone, her when she brought that big Renata energy out yep. for this one second there. And uh, I actually laughed out loud in the theater. For people who don't understand that reference, uh, that's the character that um, Laura, Laura Dern plays in Big Little Lies. They were on a Two of our three panelists today had their own <laughs> podcast about. Yes. Um, I, I'm not going to have too many opinions about this because I think it's a lot more interesting to hear about how women react to little women. One thing that I will say, just to, for people who haven't seen it yet, the time jumping doesn't happen a couple of times. It happens nearly constantly. So scenes unfold for five or six minutes and then without much warning, you're cast either forward or backward in time. Sometimes the scenes are incredibly short. I think the, the thwarted proposal scene mm-hmm. is yeah. like maybe not even more than a minute probably. That's prolonged, you know, first when she gets sick and then when she dies, that's all chopped together in a way that's right. very hard to distinguish, but I, it worked. I, I found it confusing. Uh, oh, okay. I, I often was, I, like, I, I think it's a very interesting technique, but I don't want to be sort of like counting on my fingers going, wait a minute, we were just there, now are we back to the, who's, is Beth still alive? I, like, I don't want to be asking myself all these questions about where we are. I thought it was done to a point where it was a little bit disorienting, uh, yeah. but it could be just that I'm a confused old man. I think there so. was a comment, though, about about the like continuous evolution of a family and how mm. that your past informs your present and vice versa. Yes. And there is, you know, it's not nonlinear, a family. A family is everything that happens to it and you carry that with you and that changes. And the sense of memory yeah. with it. Uh, when Joe wakes up next to Beth's bed and goes down, she panics because Beth isn't in the bed and she goes yep. downstairs and it's Christmas and she's there. And then, like, the next scene is Joe yeah. waking up and Beth is gone. Yeah. That was so powerful to put those two together. And also, I mean, I think artistically it was really neat, the time mm-hmm. jumping. But it was also, for me, practically speaking, wonderful because, like I said, I have seen every movie in, yeah. of this of this. Um, book and read the book multiple times. And I was just so refreshed when I walked in and realized that they were not starting in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I will also say, Colin, that my 11-year-old, I am not comparing you to an 11-year-old. But <laughs> she I would also, like to be compared to She also had just read the book and had recently seen a movie version. And she also thought it was confusing and was sort of annoyed because she was like, this is I don't know which part we're in. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you don't know it really well, it actually would be very it, it would be hard to figure out sometimes. I, I want to ask you all one question, which is, uh, you, particularly because, you, as you say, you've seen a lot of uh, adaptations and then the book is the book. So, and it's, I don't think I'm being, this is a spoiler. How, anyway, how do you spoil this? Uh, like, how I was going to say, are we cool yeah. with like, spoiling little you, women at this point? You, over 100 right. years old. If you, that's right. If you don't know what happens to Beth. <laughs> Beth dies. You know, like um, so, uh, you know, I, and this was in some of the commentary that I read about this too. You know, one of the ways in which I think Greta Gerwig has made a choice that feels very 2019-2020 is that there really is this kind of tremendous sense of affirmation at the end, you know, that that basically 
of the remaining three of them, their choices are going to work out. And in particular, Joe's choices, you know, are going to really just blossom and bloom. And there isn't much of a sense really at the end of pain, you know, or that sacrifice is made. We, we are acquainted with that idea all the way through the movie. But at the end, I think, you know, there's sort of, you know, a, a real major chord gets played at the end. And I wondered how that landed for all of you, particularly because you're all familiar with Louisa May Alcott's overall, you know, how she told that story. Kara, you want to well, go first? Yeah. Sure. So this, I mean, this I don't think is a, a spoiler exactly, but just to say that Greta Gerwig did something different in the end mm-hmm. of this. She mm-hmm. did something different than what happens in the book. And she sort of left it open-ended. Um, I think that this was also a little bit confusing, but wonderful. But you kind of don't really know what Joe's true ending is in this version of the film. Um, And I thought that that was a wonderful modern choice to make. And maybe one, I've read a lot of stories now about this film, so now I'm taking other people's opinions on, but maybe one that Louisa May Alcott would have made herself Mm. had she been able to. I mean, she never married. She never had children. And I I just loved the part. Again, I don't want it to be a spoiler, but I feel like I have to say this. This one line at the end where Joe is saying to the publisher – why would the heroine get married? She has not been in favor of that the whole time. And oh, I yeah. thought that that was he one says, of the women best. want to be, uh, they want to see women married, not consistent. I wrote right, that line right. like, That was so great. great. So she great. Has to, they ha- the woman has to marry or die. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that that was a really powerful ending. And um, I loved it. I loved her seeing her own artistic fruition come to life. I thought that that was, that's the most powerful ending for her. I mean, I think it's always been pretty clear to me that Joe is a stand-in for Louisa May Alcott. And I think for Greta Gerwig, she, I think Greta Gerwig is quoted saying that instead of saying girl gets boy, it's girl gets book. And, you know, for that cinematic parallel with what happened in Louisa May Alcott's life and really being ahead of her time with writing a domestic tale when, you know, sensationalist tales were what we're selling back then, I, I think it's really a beautiful nod to Louisa May Alcott's history. And I kept seeing glimpses of the author in the portrayal of Joe. Like it, it felt like there was Gregor was being very intentional to draw those parallels between Louisa May Alcott's interiority and Joe's interiority. Carolyn, you're gonna get the last word. Oh boy. Uh yeah, I I think that the the way Joe is always like a a hero for, you know, young girls reading this. I think that, you know, she's and, and this movie really makes her stand out that way where she it, it has that like, I don't need a man. I don't need to deal with this, any of this. And she focuses you, she, you get that like sense of self where she's looking to complete herself. And I think that that is that's the message I think that the book strongly tried mm. to do. And, and I think this movie really like lands that in a way even deeper, like what you said, Carol, more than Louisa May Alcott may have been even able to in her time. So we're going to wrap up here. Uh, just actress, uh, Actor-wise, I want to quickly say that if you like Florence Pugh and you want to see more, she actually is the star of a television adaptation oh, of so Little Drummer good. Girl. Um, so good. And so that's like a couple of years ago. You might be able to find it streaming somewhere. Also, one name we didn't mention here was Emma Watson, who's Meg, and who I really thought was remarkable. I mean, I, I actually think she and Daniel Radcliffe, you know, I wondered after all of those Harry Potter movies, <laughs> are they ever going to be anybody else? Is it going to be possible for them to have careers where they're just not, you know, always... I thought she was the weakest link. She, yeah, I thought she was the least remarkable. Meg is well, kind of still, the weakest link is true. the unfortunate yeah, it's, thing. it's a less interesting part, but I still <laughs> she thought, She just you gave know. me like Hermione at the Yule Ball vibes the oh, entire time. I agree, okay. even the dress, yeah. the pink See, dress. We, we saw it differently. All right, but that's what life is all about. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back.
All right, so I've got to say a few things here. First of all, thank all the people who work on this show. Uh, Kion Wolf is making the show sound great and getting helping get all these clips. Jonathan McNichol is the uh, producer of The Nose and has done an episode. I called him Jonathan McNichol, his real name. Well, anyway. Um, so also, as Jonathan McPants, he helps to uh, prom- to produce, along with Betsy Kaplan, uh, our new show, which is called Pardon Me. It runs on Saturdays at noon. Its full name is Pardon Me, another damn impeachment show, question mark. Uh, it runs on Saturdays. It also is available as a podcast, uh, and we encourage you to listen to it. We're actually going to run this week's episode also in this time slot on Monday, just because we feel like a lot of our weekday audience hasn't discovered the show yet. And we need to, to tell you one more thing, which is that one of the things we like to do on the show, if you have questions questions about the impeachment process, questions about how something works or what the law is. Uh, I mean, we've been able to have fabulous guests on the show. This week, one of our guests is Michael Gerhardt, who was one of the four law professors who testified to the Judiciary Committee about how impeachment processes uh, work and what, what, what's impeachable. Uh, so we have those kinds of people available to answer your questions. Probably not Michael Gerhardt, but uh, so uh, you can email us at pardonme at ctpublic.org, or you can just email me, colin at ctpublic.org. But pardon me at ctpublic.org, uh, and we will get an answer. Betsy Kaplan would also like to tell you that we're not interested in your opinion about impeachment. All right? We would like a question that you want answered, which we will get answered for you. But we, well, it's not that we're not interested in your opinion, but that's not what this is. All right, time to do some endorsements, some recommendations, stuff like that. Let's start over here with Carolyn Payne. Okay. So I was going to endorse Don't F with Cats on Netflix, but apparently Jacques Lamar already endorsed that, and Rebecca is also obsessed with it. But that should be enough to tell you to just just go watch that. Um, so I guess as a, uh, a runner-up endorsement, I will go with uh, The Servant on Apple TV, which is an M. Night Shyamalan. Is that how you pronounce Close that? Close enough. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not like a huge fan of his. I find like he never surprises me. This, I mean, they're releasing these episodes. They're kind of, they're, it's still, I haven't watched, so you can't watch them all at once yet. Um, but so far I am, uh, I, I am pleasantly surprised. It's, it's a good, it's a good watch. All right, Rebecca. So I've been watching Mr. Robot since it first came out, but this last season just blows every other season. And Sam Esmail, we better all watch out because he is common for everyone's wigs. It is the greatest season of television, and I think a lot of shows really bungle the ending, and he just knocked it out of the part. So if you haven't been watching Mr. Robot, now is your chance. Watch it. It's fantastic. And I'm going to give you two music recommendations on the theme of Obama's music choices because we talked about that. The first is Michael Kiwanuka's uh, new album, Kiwanuka, which came out in October. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then another one I just recently discovered. I don't believe she's got a full album yet, just an EP. But the single Evergreen by the artist Yebba, Y-E-B-B-A, whole the range. And she's done, I think, another collaboration with Mark Ronson, and she did a So Far. Uh, but someone to watch for sure would be Yebba. All right. I'm going to get emailed. What did she say? What were those? Okay. So I'll try to help help you if you do email me. Uh, Karen McDonough, what have you got for us? So I recently started reading a book. I'm only halfway through, I'll admit, um, that was recommended by a friend. And it's, I guess you could call it a self-helpy type book, which I used to really avoid. But now that I'm in my 40s, I take, take them all. Um, and it's called Burnout. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. But it's by Emily um, and Amelia Nagoski. They're twin sisters. And it's it's actually kind of an anti-self-help book, honestly, because it's about how self-help and self-care um, can be stressful mm-hmm. for women to hear. And it's very specifically about women and women's stress and how to break the stress cycle. Um, and it's great. It's scientific. So there's a lot of studies in it. Um, 
just about things you can practically do to sort of make yourself feel better when the world is on your shoulders. Um, And it has a great, just right in the beginning, has one of the best sort of reasoning-based arguments for exercising as a stress reduction technique that I've ever read. So I highly recommend it. That's my 2020 goal is to learn how to exercise. Perfect. (laughs) I'll go read it. You have to read this book. See the the title and author again? It's called Burnout, and it's by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. They're sisters, and it's really good. Funny, too. All right. So this is um, kind of an odd endorsement because it's old, Uh, but uh, and I'm guessing Rebecca will be the person here who who can co-endorse this. So I went back and I started watching again uh, bec- for very specific reasons, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, um, you knew. Yeah. And, and so Battlestar Galactica, if you haven't watched it, no matter how you feel about sci-fi and stuff like that, um, it's really, really interesting. And, and if you do it, and you can get it, there are a lot of sort of streaming channels, the streaming version of sci-fi and stuff like that. You, there are a lot of them. You have to sit through some commercials, but uh, there are a lot of ways to get Battlestar. It's my now favorite show because Game of Thrones bungled the ending. Right. It's so good. And, and it, it really was a response to 9-11 and a lot of other things too. It, it is in many ways, in some of the ways that Game of Thrones was good and interesting at times about politics, Battlestar Galactica is even better. Um, it is so smart. Watch the If you get on a streaming service, make sure you watch the pilot. There's yes. a two-episode pilot first, and then you start the actual series, and the series goes on forever, and will take over your life. But you know, They're I, doing another one that Sam Esmell's directing. Oh, really? It's coming out, yeah, yeah in like the next year. And, and you know, Mary McDonald as Laura Roslin, the oh. president, is it's really, she might be the best fictional president ever. Now, she's president of the entire population of the Earth, which consists of about 50,000 people, uh, or human population, I should say Earth, uh, the entire population of human beings, 50,000 people. But she's a great president and a deeply flawed president. And there's so many other tremendous performances in it. I just can't, if you haven't done it, and it, I, I was started watching it because of impeachment, because of the election season we're having, now with what's going on with Iran, uh, all that stuff is really sort of fictionally, interestingly, thoughtfully reflected in Battlestar Galactica. So I really recommend it. If you're looking for a book, and I really do recommend the audio version of this book, Night Boat to Tangier, which is, which is uh, written by Kevin Barry, uh, but listen to his audiobook version. He narrates his own book. Most authors aren't good at that. He's really good at it. This kind of sonorous Irish poetic style that he has. Uh, is just wonderful. Uh, and so is our panel today. Kara McDonough, Carolyn Payne, Rebecca Castellani, Sam Hattleman with a cameo. Uh, thanks to all of you. Thanks for listening. And yeah, listen to Pardon Me this weekend. And if you miss it, we're going to make you listen to it on Monday anyway. 